Thank you, Eve. Morning, everybody. Morning, both of you. Thanks for that response there. Very heartfelt. Let's try that again, shall we? Morning, everybody. Got better response from you online, and I can't even uh, be in the same room as you. Okay. My name's Roger. I'm one of the leaders uh, of the church here. If, of course, we were in an Anglican setting, the person who had done the reading would have said, this is the word of the Lord. A few Anglican background people are just checking out out of the room here. Thanks be to God. But when you have that reading, I wonder whether you're thinking, yes, thanks be to God for all that butchery and everybody being killed. And we've missed out some of the more barbaric bits. It's a lengthy chapter. So at your leisure, a bit of bedtime reading if you can't sleep tonight, why not you read all those 35 verses? If you're anything like me, you would have read that chapter uh, during the week and then thought... I wish somebody else was speaking on Joshua chapter 8. It's not a very comfortable chapter, let's be honest about it. What we're much more comfortable about, of course, is talking about the weather. We could do that. Turn to somebody you've not yet spoken to and ask them what the weather was like, where they were last night. Go for it. Ten seconds only. Ah, now we're at home, aren't we? We can talk about the weather. Never fails with British people together. Sometimes we can get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. Christian maturity comes out of our rejoicing with the positive, but also being humble enough to actually recognise our own weaknesses when we get it wrong. I used to have a a little booklet called I've Learned That, and it was a series of quotes from all sorts of people from aged five to aged 105. And in that little booklet was one quote from a husband, and he said this, he said, I've learned that in our marriage, whoever says, I'm so sorry I hurt you, please forgive me, is the winner. Wow. That's what he learned. God had brought judgment on God's people after their amazing victory at Jericho by humbling them with then defeat against puny AI. And we looked at that last week. They've been complacent, undiscerning, unaware of sin in the camp. A guy called Achan was judged, he and his family. The Bible says, as, uh, as you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? And indeed, that would have been true for what had occurred then for uh, the whole of God's people. They'd experienced the highs of God's blessings. And it's quite often the case when we think, aren't we great? What a brilliant victory. We then kind of like walk as if that mountaintop experience is going to be all that we'll ever know. And we're now fine to do everything else in our own strength. And then, bang, pride comes before a fall. They'd then known all of a sudden the lows and the disasters of when they got it wrong. Surely now they will indeed learn. No. In chapters 8 and then chapter 9 that we're going to be touching on a little bit this evening but unpacking further uh, next week, we see the contrast of both the good and the not so good. And someone once said, the one thing that we can learn from church history is that we do not learn from church history. And I guess we could kind of appropriate it in. I don't mind doing that through my 15 years here. I could say, you know, the one thing I've learned from all the mistakes that we've made as a church is that we don't seem to learn from the mistakes that we've made as a church. People issues, lack of communication, 
not sorting out those things that need to be nipped in the bud. People speaking about grace, but then forgetting about that because we're too bullshit and upset, so we wing out an email that is harsh and hard. And then, of course, we think, oh, no, I didn't ought to do that, but it goes full cycle, we do exactly the same again, over and over. The one thing we learn tends to be that we don't learn. Before we look at this uh, passage, which, yes, is the word of the Lord, and look at what God might be saying to us, an initial question that you may well be asked from somebody maybe outside may well be this. Why would God send this guy Joshua and the Israelites into this place called Canaan to exterminate the innocent people living in that land? The, The God that you say is the God of love. What is all that about? Well, there is a claim, of course, that the God of the Old Testament seems very harsh, brutal and evil. Maybe an initial response could simply be that how is it that an atheist or non-Christian can say that God is harsh, brutal or evil when they deny the very word of God, the very book that defines what it means to be harsh, brutal or evil. Even further beyond that, in atheistic, materialistic and also evolutionary worldviews, such things can neither be right nor wrong, because without there being a God, there is no definition of that which is right and that which is wrong. The only way we know of absolute truth of right and wrong is through this book. The people that would then say, well, that can't be true because. I wonder what our own starting point is. But whoever we are, even if we're part of this church here this morning, you read a passage like that and you scratch your head and think, I don't feel completely comfortable with what I'm reading. The Canaanites, though, were far from innocent. God was patient with them over and over and over and over again as they continued in the wrong lifestyle that they had. If you want to read all the verses that unpack that further, then you need to go back to the book of Leviticus and chapter 18. A whole array of sexual sin, including sex with their mothers, sex with their sisters, sex with their brothers, sex with animals, etc., etc., giving their children to be sacrificed. There's a whole chapter of stuff that would make the hair stand on end. Those of you who are a bit more fortunate, maybe than me, to have hair to stand on end. It's impossible to make the claim that these people were innocent and undeserving of punishment. When Joshua entered the land of Canaan, the Amorite sin had reached its full measure and it was time for judgment. But beyond that, we need to recognise it in and of ourselves. We're people that do wrong stuff and wrong deserves to be punished. It's only through God's grace and God's stepping in. And that's where the Jesus bit fits in, that we don't have a guaranteed end destruction, which is what we all deserve, according to what the Bible teaches. So what then has this passage got to say to us in our time, in our season, in our culture? Well, one of the things that you get right at the beginning of the chapter in that first couple of verses is that there are times where God speaks to us. Let's remember from last week, if you were here last week, and I'll repeat just in case anybody uh, wasn't. uh, Last week where God's people blew it, the response of Joshua as leader and all the other leaders, they were very contrite. They had that wake-up moment. They fell flat flat down on their faces to repent, etc., etc., in dustcloth and ashes, as the the phrase goes, because they knew they got it wrong. They They knew that they'd blown out. And it's then directly in response to that that then God speaks. 
No surprise, really, when we get right with God that then there's that opportunity for us to pave the way for God to speak to us. Sometimes, maybe even most times, we can act on things and make decisions before we've actually heard from God. That can be okay. I actually chose what pair of socks to wear this morning, you'll be pleased to know, without praying about it too much. If I'd spent all that time with a pair of socks and everything else that I was going to wear, well, then I probably wouldn't have got to church here on time. It is okay to use common sense. But what about other decisions? At other times, it seems that over and over, we can make decisions simply because we are determined to be so independent and state that I can cope, and I think I've worked through what it's right to do, or to say, or how to act, without consulting this God that we profess to believe in, to invite to speak to us and guide us as to how we should make a response. One of the things as we were meeting as elders uh, this week and also last week was it struck us afresh about the poignancy of God's people waiting on that specific word of God speaking into an agenda where maybe we realise that too often we can be agenda-driven. And maybe that's something for ourselves to think about in whatever uh, situation that God has placed us, whatever family situation, whatever place of work or position you have. Sometimes it's true, isn't it, that we want God to speak, but we feel we hear uh, nothing. Has that ever been true for anybody here? Three of you. The rest of you are really on fire for God 24-7. Well, bully for you. I would be one of those to actually put my hand up. Desperate to hear from God, but feel sometimes that you hear absolutely nothing at all. Sometimes it's about us choosing to be in a right place where we're most likely to hear. Not heard anything from God, therefore I'm going to stay away from church for the next three months. Well, that's clever. Not really. You've placed yourself this morning in a place where you're most likely to hear from God. Not because of how good the preacher or anybody else leading is, but because we've had his word read, his living word. And then as we seek to unpack that, or you watch something like that, unpacking that on TV, you put yourself in a place where you're going to be more likely to hear and receive God's specific word for you. Joshua had recently acted before hearing, but now he was in a place where he was ready to hear as God's people being so humiliated with that defeat at Ai. It's no surprise that God's leaders, they all fell face down before the Lord, remaining there till evening, we read in chapter 7, verse 6. Something of the timing, I think, that after that, that's uh, written out for us, that we can read and discover what occurred, that then what followed is then God speaks. Sometimes... We feel we hear nothing. Sometimes we want God to speak, but feel he doesn't. What then? I've come to church. I've read his word. I've watched this, that and the other on on YouTube or on TV. We wait. We trust. Let's not put on a pedestal those people that uh, in scripture hear from God. Because sometimes they went for years without hearing a specific word. But we miss miss out that because it's not recorded. But if you study closely and carefully, there are times of of absence and of silence. They had to wait. They had to be patient. They had to keep going with that which they know to be true. Once you've made that statement of faith and made that decision to follow your God, hang on in there. It may well be on one given day or week you may well hear. 
on another day or week or month or years. You may well feel that there's maybe a bit more of a silence. But it's why church or being connected into a, a small group is so essential. We want to hear God speak. Usually when God's word is open, well, we're going to be able to put ourselves in that place where we hear of his generic will. His will for all people, for all mankind, is to be honest, is to do the right thing, etc., etc. But we're so desperate, aren't we, to know what is called, uh, that we can discover God's particular will. In other words, what is your specific will? What is your specific word to me, God, in my given situation? Uh, we'll be praying, hopefully, for Tori to know that as she's faced with that daunting task of being in that alien culture to bring something of that which is true, but also with a touch of God about it as well that is going to make a difference because it's a specific word at a specific situation at a specific season. God, what is your specific word for me? That can be quite rare. Are you ready? for that this morning was that your prayer this morning if it wasn't don't feel bad about it but maybe next time you come just remember God if you've got something for me I want to be open to hear what that is could well be that God's got something for you to then pass on to somebody else taking uh, the wisdom sometimes of others is a helpful form of us weighing up what God might be saying to us particularly if it's in a big situation strikes me that God very rarely says one thing on one occasion to us and that's it. Nothing else by way of confirmation through any other means. Usually it's a bit like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And the bigger the issue, the more the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle we need to piece together. Be open to God doing that and speaking through one another. So there's a time when God speaks to us. Secondly, we need to learn from the past. Having sent only two or three thousand men the first time, that sort of mistake that Joshua made, this time he sends down 30,000 men, we read in verse 3, to go down to Ai. Noticeable is his immediate obedience as God says, right, send the whole lot, the whole bucket load, the whole army. So he's not going to think, oh, well, actually, it was going to be two or three thousand, should have been enough. It wasn't. We'll send three and a half thousand. We'll say, no, if God speaks and gives you a specific word, it's important to respond to that. And he does that immediately. He learns that not only to go on the voice or the wisdom of man, which can often be pretty futile, but to actually think, you know, that wasn't enough. We blew out. So with that embarrassment fresh in his memory, when God speaks clearly, take the whole army in verse 1. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Take the whole army. That's what he does. And alongside that, as he brings God's word back to the people, we read, then the whole army get up and respond. The whole army. Not, okay, well, I've heard what you said, but I'm going to have time out, or I'm going to do my thing over here. There's something about that whole arminess as we think about being an, an army of God's people, if you like. That when as a church we hear what God's word is to us, that demands that we get on board as whole army, not to pick and choose. We all need to be together. We need to be united in what God is calling us to do and to be. If we continue to make the same mistakes in the same areas, why is that? Well, maybe it's because we haven't learned the lessons from the past, and that could be true. 
Or maybe it's because we refuse to accept that we've got a, a problem in the first place. I wonder if someone who knows you or who is close to you could be a really good friend. It could be a spouse. They said, you know what, I, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty concerned because in a particular area, I, I think you should get some help. Or I think there's something that you need to address in. It's only an arrogant person that continues to ignore that. It's, yeah, and sometimes that could be what we do because we feel we know best. If we love someone, we ought to be big enough to share our concerns, didn't we? And those people that are sharing their concerns are because they're aware of your past and mine. And they don't want us to make the same mistakes again and again. I'm pretty good at that. What about you? Allow those who love you to speak God's truth, loving you into your life. As we see verses 3 to 9, following God having spoken to Joshua, right, I've got it. This is the summary. This is the mandate I've got. He then unpacks what seems to be a little bit more fleshed out because he's got to do what? He's got to take that word from God and then appropriate it for the whole people. So he kind of conjures up a plan and a process and works out how he perceives is the best way to do that. So it's not just God does this and he's kind of like a robot and just does it. There's then that human element and that partnership of ourselves cooperating with God and then using the brains and the minds and other people around us that God has given to us to think, right, how might it be best to put that plan into practice for where we are? God didn't do everything. Our battle may well be very different to theirs, but we're still in a variety of spiritual battles. We need to realise that which is, is down to us But that sense of planning is crucial. There appeared to be a really united spirit and complete trust and submission to Joshua's uh, leadership. And it ought to be no surprise that that was then followed by huge success. They'd heard from from God. They then, a whole army together, um, go uh, together. And then we we discover there's huge success. But I love the verse at the end of verse 9. Where you read there before all the action takes place. And boy is there some action. But Joshua spent that night with the people. Why did he do that? He could have been locked up at a palace. No, it was more important for him to spend time with the people. He wanted to identify with them, to encourage them, to hear their thoughts. Wise leaders do that. I'd say that to myself. It's important that we seek to listen to where the people are at. Sometimes we have a sense as a leadership, this is what we believe the church should do. Is that because we got three or four clever leaders that have come up with all these ideas? No. Usually, it's because we've heard what God has said through a member or through several members, or when we meet at one of our two members meetings a year, and we've got one of those coming up in a couple of weeks' time, and as we break into groups, particularly, and people share, and we then take all that information away and collate that and pray that through, then we've got a clearer sense of hearing what we believe God is saying. That sense of leadership and listening going hand in hand together is so, so important. What's important is that we're in this together. I hope you're not a church-going person that doesn't sign up to belonging and being a part of any one particular church, or platoon as I called it earlier. Because you're robbing yourself and ourselves of hearing from God through you when we meet in those occasions like that. Why would you want to do that? We want to know what God's plan is for his people. 
which means we need a sense of corporate sense. Could well be you're flying in from a different church in this morning. That's great. But wherever it is that you are committed, there needs to be a particular people group that you are 100% with and for and supporting, seeking to hear from and to encourage, but also to speak God's word into. We love that opportunity here. Lastly, as the action takes place, and we're not going to go through all the barbaric uh, stuff. As I say, you can enjoy that as your own bedtime reading. But right in the middle of all that stuff going on, in verse 18, suddenly you've got these, this, these words. Then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out towards Ai the javelin that's in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. That hadn't been the, the initial part of the plan. God had spoken, given him the summary of what was going to occur. He then had to work with the people to work out that plan, that process, and what was going to happen when. And then whilst all that stuff was going on, God then spoke again. And I was thinking about that in our current situation, particularly for me in terms of, right, this is what I asked God, would you give me something that I can say on this passage? And as we then go through, there's all the plan, the notes and all that kind of stuff. And Maria, who's leading this morning, would have done that. I know she does that religiously and really systematically and prayerfully through the week. But it's being willing to say, okay, God, take hold of this. But then if you want to bring anything specific at any specific time, you do that. We want to be open to you to have your way. Sometimes we're better than others at giving God space to do that. But here, what strikes me is Joshua immediately did that. Whatever his initial plan was, and however daft it may well have sounded to actually hold up a javelin and all the rest, he did it. Why? Because God told him to. And that is more important than anything else. It's more important than the human plan. It's more important than what his common sense have been. It's more important than him thinking, I'm gifted in all this stuff. I know what's best for us to do. He heard what God said. He must have been in the right place to receive that. And it was in the middle of a battle. The direct response was that 12,000 ended up dead. You can read about that, verses 24 and 25. It's having a plan. Then, but being willing to be open to be whatever it is that God is wanting to speak to us. That can be a tad uncomfortable at times. So, let's pause. What does God want to say to you as an individual right now? Don't put your hand up unless he's told you to give the pastor a box of chocolates or something. That's fine. You act on that straight away. What does God more seriously want to say to you, do you think? Have a think of what's going on in your life. That sense of silence is eagerly received by some who enjoy that sense of silence. For others like me, I'm very uncomfortable with that. I'd rather we pressed on with the next thing. What about you? I wonder if God has brought a name or a face to mind. Or of a particular thing that you may well say. Or maybe for some verses of scripture. It may well be we'll have an opportunity towards the end of our service over worship for some of that stuff to be shared. I know we had, only had a few moments. Be open to God continuing to speak to you. We believe in a God who speaks. We want to hear that if that's for a wider sense. If it's something private between you and him, that's fine. Sometimes things are about timing. God spoke to somebody quite deliberately last week and we didn't have the time or the occasion for that to be processed or to hear. But I want to invite Gloria up off the back of what we were looking at last week. And Gloria shared something with me at the close of time over coffee 
And uh, she's given thought to that through the week. We think that would be right uh, for Gloria to bring that specific word for ourselves to the church right now. Hello. The blind man said to Jesus, or said to his friends, once I was blind, but now I see. He was physically blind, and then he was physically sighted. But he was also spiritually blind, because he didn't know who Jesus was. But when he saw the truth, that Jesus was the Son of God, he saw the light. Now before we came to Jesus, we were spiritually blind. We didn't understand who God was, because Satan had blinded our hearts, as the Bible says. But the Holy Spirit revealed to us who Jesus was, so that then we could see spiritually. Now last week, Roger brought us before us the problem that as Christians, we still commit sin, and that spoils our walk and our relationship with God. And as we spent time in prayer over communion, the Lord revealed to me something that, although we are Christians, many of us are still spiritually blind. We know we're forgiven, but sin still has too much power in our lives. Satan is still blinding us. He cannot touch our destiny, but he can hinder and spoil our walk with the Lord. So we need to wake up. He is lying to us. We kidding ourselves if we think that sin doesn't really matter. We can become spiritually blind, each one of us, to our own sin. It may be something habitual, or it may be something to do with the old nature, which has just got too much power over our lives. And we may kid ourselves about our particular sins, but we don't kid God. I am often spiritually blind. My pride and my selfish attitude has far too much power in my life. I know that. And sometimes what comes out of my mouth, I wish I could cut my tongue out afterwards. But the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we often ignore the cleansing bit, don't we? I want to share with you something that happened to me about 40 years ago. I've been a Christian over 50 years. And I was reading a book called Risky Living, and it was all about having resentments. And I finished it on a Sunday night, and um, I thought, oh, that's a nice book. I agree with that, you know. And I thought, well, I'd better just pray before I go to bed. And I said, please, Lord, if I've got any resentments, please let me know. And I couldn't think of anything. Anyway, I went to bed, got into bed, and the Lord said, you've got a resentment against somebody and against particular situations that keep recurring. And I felt terrible. And I thought, Lord, I didn't know that I had any resentment. And I just said, Lord, I am so sorry. And I had to tell you, I had a physical healing. I had a presence come into my head, down to my chest and out. And from that day, it's still the same person, same situation comes up. And I just say, devil, get away. You've got no power over me in that particular area. I must decrease and he must increase. And the only way, of course, is dying to self. That's not an easy thing to do. But the first step is confession. Not half-heartedly, but deep within your heart. The Lord knows I am very proud and I am selfish. He knows my thoughts, 
And he knows I'm ashamed to say that I am proud and selfish because as I just said to you, sometimes it affects what comes out of my mouth. And I can be frequently blind to it. I can go along day in, day out and not even think about it. But I need to be cleansed, not just forgiven. It was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. He suffered so that I could be forgiven and I can be cleansed. And I want to be different. I have confessed. The only way to change is through his power to let him take over. And that's the good news because it's not hopeless. It's not a fact that we can say sin is too much, we can't cope with it. There is hope. The Holy Spirit can reveal to us what our sin is and he wants to bring us to confession and forgiveness and into cleansing and into a closer walk with God. And then we can be more effective for Jesus. So I feel the Lord is speaking to all of us. We're spiritually blind, but we need to take a deeper look into our hearts, examine ourselves. We need to take a, see Jesus suffering on the cross for us. We need to see his pain. We need to see his blood flowing. But we need to see his amazing love. Thank you. Thank you, Gloria. Bless you for being so honest. So I think we need to draw things to a close here. We called this morning, is it time for us to regain lost ground? That fits the passage. It's what Joshua did in recapturing AI. I wonder if there is territory that we've somehow given away or given over to the enemy, following on from what Gloria said. And I didn't know the fullness of what Gloria was going to share. I wonder if there's something that we need to learn afresh from the past that maybe until now we haven't really learned from. Or to move away from and leave behind and know that it's done. It's dealt with. Jesus has done everything that's needed to be done to achieve that. But it's ourself accepting that and owning that that often can be the stumbling block. Are there things we should be planning or people whose wisdom we should be listening to in terms of shaping our thinking about what God might be saying to us? Is there something that God might be wanting to specifically say to you right now? Not about the badness of a wrong, but look, here is the hope and the opportunity of fresh start right now. Each of us can grab that. Each of us. Because this is the love of God that he's wanting you to know. Have you asked him? Go on the attack. Regain the ground. And do it now. Do it now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that sometimes at first read can look so confusing. Uh, it, things seem so different way back then. But we know this kind of stuff went on. But as well as the historical truth, your word says of itself that this is of you for us to learn from. But it's also about the whole teaching and rebuking and correcting so that we might end up being the people that you want us to be. Help us to receive that particular word that you're wanting us to know and own. That we might be free people this morning. 
Help us to be open to what your spirit would long to say to us as we respond in, in worship now. But we pray these things in Jesus' name.